Hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are joining us. Good to see all you guys here in person. And we have tons of people worshiping with us from all over the 918 and across the country online. So if you're here in person, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online family here today? So glad to have all of you guys, no matter where you're worshiping with us from. Well, one of the tried and true team-building exercises that teams and groups have used over the years is known as a trust fall exercise. And let me see by a show of hands, if you're online right now, you can give us a thumbs up in our online hub. But how many of you guys have ever participated, put your hands up in a trust fall exercise? Let me see. Okay, a whole bunch of you. That's what I figured. Well, I came across this video the other day of what looked like to be a church staff that was doing a trust fall exercise. If you're not familiar with what this is, basically you fall back into your team or your group's arms willingly to demonstrate that you trust them. Well, this church staff was trying to do this, and this guy, he had never done it before. He was the first one up, and you could tell he was really nervous. Like He's like getting himself ready, and he's moving his arms and clenching his fists, and he's shutting his eyes, and he's getting ready to do the trust fall exercise. And... Take a look at what happened. All right, and then everybody fill in, and we're going to ask you to fall, and then they will catch you. So you have to trust us. I'm going to count to three. Just relax and fall, okay? One, two, three. No, wait, no, no. Obviously, he had never done a trust fall exercise before. And secondly, I bet you if he ever does one again, he'll keep his eyes open next time, don't you think? That's pretty good advice for us as well. Spiritually speaking, when we go through life with our eyes shut, not seeing what God wants us to see, not only do we settle for a life that's far less than what God wants us to live, God created us to live, we also find ourselves in trouble when we're not seeing life as God wants us to see it. The Bible says this in the book of Proverbs. We looked at this verse last week. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we talked about how that word vision in Hebrew means divine revelation or divine guidance. In other words, when people can't see what God wants them to see, they're headed for trouble. They perish. They're headed for destruction. And that's why as we begin 2021, we decided to do this series called Big Dreams Because we want to be a church, we want to be a people who see the world as God sees it, sees our lives as God sees it, who dream the dreams that God wants us to dream. And that's why I love the story of Nehemiah found in the Old Testament. Because Nehemiah was a guy who saw what God wanted him to see when everyone else in his culture seemed to be ignoring it. See, God's people during the days of Nehemiah, Nehemiah lived about 450 years before the time of Christ. Nehemiah, Nehemiah's day and that day, the people, well, they had kind of done their own thing. They decided to do what was ever right in their own eyes. And so they went against God's will. They disobeyed God. And so the state of their culture where it was in ruins, their spiritual lives were broken down. But not only that, the nation itself was physically broken down. Jerusalem, the capital city of God's people, had been destroyed. And it had been destroyed about 140 years prior to the time of Nehemiah when God allowed for a foreign king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, to come in and destroy, demolish the city. And Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city in such a way that He wanted to kill all hope that it would ever be rebuilt again. He destroyed the city, burned it. He destroyed the walls, and walls were protection for the city. And after 140 years, Jerusalem was still just rubble, ruins, debris. 
And so after 140 years of Jerusalem being in the state, people had stopped dreaming that Jerusalem would ever be anything more. But that wasn't the case for Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah believed the promises of God, and Nehemiah knew that God still had plans for Jerusalem, that God still had plans for his people. Nehemiah knew that there's no brokenness our God can't heal. See, brokenness is part of life. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world full of sin, and so all of us are going to have pieces of our lives that fall apart at times. It's just part of living on the earth in this fallen state that we live in. However, even though brokenness is part of life, and even though at times debris and rubble can build up in our lives and we can feel paralyzed and overwhelmed, that doesn't have to be the case. Because even though we've all been broken by something, we don't have to stay that way. That's why I love prom the promises that are found in scriptures such as this one in Second Chronicles, where it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God says, and turn from their wicked ways, uh, then, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. See, I believe Nehemiah, he believed promises like that one found in Scripture, that no matter where you are right now, no matter how broken your life may be or feel, God can bring healing to your life. And so after 141 years of Jerusalem being broken down and the people morally being broken as well, Nehemiah is awakened to a need that he and others had been ignoring for some time. And he decides that it's time to do something about it, that God wants to move among his people. And so what Nehemiah prays is he prays for God to give him an opportunity to work within, to work in the middle of his broken culture in order to make a difference for God. God's name. And I think that's why the book of Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah is so relevant for us today because we also live in a broken culture, but I don't think that we should shy away from the situation we're in or be afraid of it or scared of it or, uh, or even go along with it. No, we should be a people who are offering an alternative to the darkness that surrounds us that shines Jesus' light in the midst of the darkness that we see every single day. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us to do. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you, speaking to you and me, all of us here, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, we're living in a day and age where a lot of people are discouraged because when they watch the news and they see everything that's happened over the past year in 2020 and even stuff that's going on right now in 2021, people just see this as a disruption to our way of life. But you know, I don't see all the events that are occurring right now and have been occurring over the past year, I don't see them as a disruption to the church's mission. I see them as an opportunity. I believe we're here for such a time as this. We're here to shine light in the midst of the darkness because the Bible calls us to be difference makers. Difference makers who are redeeming the time because the days are evil. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat the fact that the days that we're living in are evil and wicked and full of darkness. The Bible doesn't say that everything's going to run smoothly and be easy. The Bible says our world, it's full of evil, it's full of darkness, but that's why we're here as the church, as God's people, to redeem the time. We're here to shine Jesus' light in the middle of the darkness. And no matter how dense and dark our world may seem, the darkness cannot extinguish Jesus' light. 
That's why John 1, 5 says this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And if we will stop long enough to listen to God, to pay attention to what he wants us to pay attention to, to see what he wants us to see, I think we will notice that he is positioning us to do something great and incredible in the midst of the culture that we're currently living in. And that's exactly what he did for Nehemiah, the Old Testament. See, Nehemiah knew that God still had plans for his people, that God still had plans for Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah, he lived 800 miles away from the city of Jerusalem. He had never been to Jerusalem that we know of. He was born in exile. He was born in a foreign country. And he, and he was the cupbearer. He rose to the ranks in this foreign nation. He rose to the ranks to be cupbearer to the king. And that king's name was Artaxerxes I. We talked about him a little bit last week. And Nehemiah starts to realize, hey, I'm cupbearer to the king, and I'm a foreigner I mean, I was born in exile. My family, they were taken as captives 140 years ago. And now I'm like this close confine of the most powerful man on the face of the planet, the king of Persia, the emperor of Persia. Maybe that's not an accident. Maybe God's been orchestrating all this behind the scenes. Maybe God has positioned me in this spot at this time to make a difference for his name's sake. His name's sake. So Nehemiah immediately goes to God in prayer. And he prays and he weeps and he mourns before the God of heaven. He says, God, give me an opportunity to do what you want me to do. Give me an opportunity to rebuild your city, the city of Jerusalem, and to also bring your people back together. And for four months, Nehemiah prays for this opportunity. And finally, after four months of prayer, God gives him the opportunity he was looking for. Nehemiah is serving King Artaxerxes one day, as he always did. And Artaxerxes, he knows Nehemiah well. I mean, they're, they're friends. Nehemiah is almost like family as his cupbearer. They spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one personal time together. And the king realizes there's something wrong with his buddy. Something's bothering him. Let's read and see what happens in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah says, I had not been sad in his, the king's presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? You're not sick, obviously. So why are you so down, man? What's going on? The king says, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. In other words, there's something bothering you, troubling you on the inside, isn't there? What's up, Nehemiah? What's going on? Now, this is Nehemiah's opportunity. I mean, he's been praying for four months to have a chance to go before the king and to ask the king to support this rebuilding project of Jerusalem. And now he's just serving one day, and Artaxerxes, he's noticing that Nehemiah isn't acting right. And so Artaxerxes asks, what's wrong? What's going on with you? This is his opportunity. This is his chance. This is Nehemiah's moment. And you know what Nehemiah's immediate response was? Look at what he writes. He says, I was very much afraid. <laughs> One translation says, I was terrified. He's been praying for four months for his opportunity. Now it comes and he's terrified. Why? Well, for one thing, it was against the law in this day and age to be sad in the presence of the king. 
It was against the law to be a downer in the king's presence, basically. And if you brought the king down, the punishment could be death. You weren't allowed to be a negative influence in the presence of the king. And wouldn't some of you guys like to have that law at your place of work? I know. Wouldn't that be awesome? No negative people allowed, right? There's nobody allowed in my presence who can bring me down. I saw uh, this meme the other day on social media. It says, when you're at work, trying to stay positive. And look at the face on this little kid, you know. Ever feel like that? Like you're just surrounded by negativity, people that bring you down all the time. Wouldn't it be great to have that law? Well, we don't, but they had that law in this day and age. And if the king wanted to, he could have you severely punished, even put to death for simply being sad in his presence. But our exercise isn't going to do this to Nehemiah. They're friends. Nehemiah is a close confidant of the king. So the king just wants to know what's bothering you. He asks, what's going on? And I think Nehemiah might be afraid in this moment for another reason. See, I want you to think about, wrap your mind around what Nehemiah is getting ready to ask Artaxerxes. He's getting ready to ask for a rival nation to be restored to influence and power and greatness. By rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, he's asking for a rival nation to be restored. That could have been seen as treason. That could have been seen as a sign of disloyalty. You might be thinking, well, Nehemiah wouldn't do that. They're friends. In this day and age, friends and family members betrayed kings all the time in order to get some power. So Artaxerxes could have had Nehemiah put to death for treason. Their friendship could have ended in this very moment. And Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid, terrified. And I think, honestly, sometimes the reason why we don't live out God's dreams for our lives, the reason why we don't carry out God's plans for us or do what he wants us to do is because of this one word, the word fear. Fear sometimes is the biggest obstacle that stands between us doing what God wants us to do and not doing it, staying where we are. Because we have this mindset that life should be comfortable Life should be easy, and we should do whatever we possibly can to make life easy. And sometimes even in the church, we believe that. We believe that if we're really doing God's will, if we're really doing what God wants us to do, then it should come easy. We shouldn't have to step outside of our comfort zones. And this is how we sometimes act and live. We say, okay, God, I want to make a difference in this world. Hey, give me an opportunity. Open up a door for me to make a difference in this world. And we pray for that to happen. We sit here on Sunday as we listen to a message on dreaming big, and we think, God, give me this opportunity. And then Monday morning rolls around, and God opens a door for us. We say, oh, not that opportunity. No, that's going to cost me too much. That's too risky. I'm going to have to sacrifice too much. That's way out of my comfort zone, God. No, give me another opportunity, not that one. And we ask for it and we ask for it, but we're willing to serve God as long as it doesn't ask too much of us. And what I have found out is we often miss what's possible because we settle for what's comfortable. You ever been there? Let me illustrate it like this. My son, Alex, he wanted a hoverboard for Christmas. If you don't know what a hoverboard is, here's a picture of one. It's little two-wheel doohickey things that you ride around on, and you've got to have great balance to use one of these. Trust me, I've tried. You've got to have great balance to know how to use one. And if you've seen people who are smooth on them, I mean, they look really cool, but it takes a little bit of practice to get there. And so Alex asked for one for Christmas. 
Allison and I said no because we pretty much already had this Christmas taken care of by the time he asked for it. We were like, nope, you're not getting one. Uh, wait till you're a little bit older. And guess what happened? Nana and Papa bought him one for Christmas. Grandparents stepped in and they bought him one for Christmas. And so he got a hoverboard. And I remember when he opened it up, I mean, he was so excited. He'd been asking and asking for this. I mean, he was so excited. And he looked out of the box and we opened it up and got it out, charged it up, got it ready to use. And then Alex didn't want to use it. And we were like, hey, hop on, buddy. Come on, let's try this thing out. Uh, maybe later. He kept putting it off and putting it off. And I realized after a few minutes, he was scared. It's one thing to see other people use it. It's another thing to see him on TV or whatever. But to actually have to step on it yourself, it's a little bit scary. He was afraid to do it. So I was like, hey, buddy, listen, you asked for this. We're going to use it. Mommy and Daddy will help balance you. We'll get you on there until you get comfortable with it. And so we finally talked him into it. He got up on it, and he ended up mastering it. I mean, it, it didn't take him very long. You know, kids learn quick. It didn't take him very long. And just the other day, I filmed him doing this. I mean, look at him now. Look at how good he is at this. If I tried to do this, I would definitely break my neck. But he's great, even to the point that he likes to have us, like, throw a basketball at him. And he will dribble a basketball while he's on this thing. Now, again, there's no way that I could do something like this. He keeps trying to get me to do it, and I'm the one that's scared now. But that, that's how smooth he is. And at first, he was scared to death to get on it. He was scared to death to even try it out. And like I said, he likes to show off a little bit. Look at him. Look at the camera. He likes to show off and rub it in my face. But, you know, I think sometimes this is how we treat God. What if Alex had got this gift and left it in the corner of the room and never tried it out? Well, one, he would have wasted a great gift, but two, he would have missed out on a lot of fun. And I think sometimes we pray, hey, God, let me make a difference. And God says, okay, here's your opportunity. Here's your open door. And if you will walk through that door, I will equip you. I will empower you. I will be with you. And you're going to see amazing things happen. And we just sit back and say, no, 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 that's a little bit too scary. We're not quite ready for that. And we waste the opportunities that God gives us. We let fear drive our decisions, drive our lives, rather than faith. And so let me ask you right now, what scares you? Is there a need that you've been awakened to here recently that you feel that maybe God is nudging you to do something about? But you're a little bit scared to do it because you're afraid it may cost you too much, might be too big of a risk, might make you feel too uncomfortable. Is there an open door right now that God is giving you and you know it? It's not just that you're thinking it might be, you know God's giving you this opportunity, but yet you're putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because you're afraid it might cost too much, might make you feel too uncomfortable. Or maybe you don't have an immediate need in front of you or opportunity in front of you, but maybe you're just afraid to pray the prayer, God, give me an opportunity. <laughs> because if you actually pray that prayer, maybe God will answer that prayer and the opportunity he gives you is not what you want to do. What scares you right now? Because whatever it is that scares you, maybe, just maybe, that's what God wants you to do. Because God doesn't want you relying on your own strength and your own ability and your own confidence. He wants you relying on Him. Maybe you need to pray the prayer, God, I'm willing to do whatever, even if it scares me, because I know you're with me. Show me what I need to do. Nehemiah was afraid, and justifiably so. I mean, it's only natural that he would be afraid. But Nehemiah didn't let fear drive or control his life. Look what happens, verse 2. I was very much afraid, Nehemiah says, but, I love that but, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. He butters him up a little bit. Okay, that's fine. May the king live forever. 
why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want, Nehemiah? Nehemiah could have just said nothing. He could have said, oh, I'm fine, you know, just having a bad day, whatever. But he lets Artaxerxes know what's on his heart. Even though Artaxerxes may not receive that news very well, he lets him know what's on his heart because it's what God wanted Nehemiah to do. And then Artaxerxes doesn't seem to be offended, but says, okay, what is it you want, Nehemiah? What can I do to help? And look at how Nehemiah responds. The king says, what does he want? And look at what it says here. Nehemiah writes, then I prayed. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now remember, Nehemiah has been praying for four months for God to give him an opportunity. And now God gives him the opportunity, and he's standing before the king, and the king says, what is it that you want? Here's his opportunity. Here's his moment. Here's his chance. And what does Nehemiah do? He says, then I prayed. Maybe it was either pray or he had to go change his pants. I don't know. Maybe he was, I should not have said that. But maybe he was scared to death, you know. And that was the only thing he knew to do. But I think it's more than that. I think Nehemiah never wanted to take a step along this journey unless he knew God was leading him. Unless he knew God was with him. And I think that's why Nehemiah is able to do such incredible things in God's name. Nehemiah wasn't a prophet. Nehemiah wasn't a priest. He was just a normal guy. And yet, not only does he get permission to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls, he's able to rebuild the walls in 52 days. I mean, that seems impossible. Why, why is it that Nehemiah was able to do all this incredible stuff? It's because he never took a step before making sure that God was leading him, making sure God was with him. And I think we can learn from Nehemiah this. The solution for overcoming fear is remembering the greatness of God. Remembering the God who's with you. See, I think the reason why Nehemiah prayed in that moment is because he knew he was standing before a really powerful man, the most powerful man on the face of the planet. But he knew that his God was more powerful. He knew that his God was the one who had called everything into existence, created it from nothing. He knew that his God was the one who had flooded the earth and saved Noah and his family. He knew that his God was the one who had sent plagues upon Egypt. His God was the one who had parted the Red Sea. His God was the one who appeared to the Israelite people on the mountain and gave them the Ten Commandments. His God was the one who knocked down the walls of Jericho. His God was the one who defeated giants. His God was the one who made time stand still. His God was the one who, who held the cosmos in his hands. And so as he stood before this powerful, powerful man, he had to access a greater power. And he knew that by remembering his God, his earthly fears would assume their proper size. And the thing is, Nehemiah is going to teach this to the people of Israel later on. Later on, when they're actually rebuilding the walls, they get some pressure from their enemies. There are these warlords throughout the area of Jerusalem that are trying to stop the Israelites from rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And so the people start to panic a little bit because their enemies are adding pressure to this endeavor of rebuilding the walls. And listen to what Nehemiah tells the people. He says, do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of our enemies. Remember the Lord who is great 
and awesome. The key, the solution to overcoming fear is remembering the greatness of God. And the same is true for us. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The one who is in us is greater than any force that we will face on the face of the planet. I was reminded of this just the other day. When I was uh, at home with my kids, Allison ran out to uh, do an errand, and I was at home, and my kids were watching Scooby-Doo. They just recently discovered, discovered Scooby-Doo, and they love it, but it scares them sometimes because Scooby-Doo for a kid can be a little bit scary with, you know, like ghosts and phantoms and all that kind of stuff. And so I was in the kitchen working. Alex and Addie are watching it, and I walked out of the room just for a second, and Alex hollered, Daddy, where'd you go? And I said, I'm right here, buddy. And he said, would you come and sit down beside us? Well, I said, right in the middle of the two of them, and they're all up next to me, you know. And I knew they were scared. I was like, listen, you guys know this is fake, right? This isn't real. Like, there's no such thing as talking dogs like Scooby-Doo, you know. This is all fake and ghosts and goblins and phantoms and all. This is all fake. It's not real. You know, this is just a show. It's all pretend. There's nothing to be scared of. And Alice looked at me. He said, yeah, I know, but can you sit here and keep telling me that? (laughs) And, you know, I understood exactly what he meant. We get it up here, but sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And when we keep God by our side, we keep God with us all the time. And we don't take a step without making sure that he's with us and he's leading us. His presence in our lives will put our earthly fears in their proper context. So Nehemiah, he asked God for strength. And look at how he responds to the king. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, see, he's close to this family here. The king and queen are together. They all know Nehemiah. Asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct, safe travel until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest. That would be a cool job, keeper of the king's forest. So he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the, by the temple and for the city wall and for the, and for the residence I will occupy. So basically the king says, what is it that you want? And I want you to notice something. Nehemiah had a plan. See, it wasn't just that Nehemiah prayed for four months. He also developed a plan. And I think sometimes we think, well, if we live by faith, then we shouldn't plan. That planning is like the opposite of living by faith. I don't think that's true at all. I don't think the Bible teaches that at all. No, the Bible teaches that while we're in periods of waiting, waiting for God to open a door, we should be preparing ourselves to go through whatever door he opens. We should be doing whatever we possibly can to get ourselves ready to walk through the doors that God is going to open. So while we're praying for God to open a door, we need to be preparing ourselves to walk through that door. Preparation is not the opposite of living by faith, but actually it's an act of faith because you know in your mind, you know in your heart, God is going to give me an opportunity. God is going to open a door eventually. So I want to do everything I can during this period of waiting to make sure that I'm ready for whatever God asks me to do so that I am ready to move whenever God says move. I remember I knew a preacher years ago, and he was a good man, but he used to say this all the time, and I disagreed with him, and I told him so. He would say, you know, I don't ever prepare for a sermon ever. 
and most of his congregation knew that. But I never prepare for a sermon ever. I just get up and I let the Spirit move me. And that sounds spiritual and that sounds great. But I always asked him, why can't the Spirit move you in your study while you're writing the sermon as well? Why does he have to wait till Sunday morning, you know? Because I would listen to this guy preaching, and God love him, good God. But he would get his facts and figures messed up, and he'd start quoting Scripture and misquote it, whatever. He'd be all over the place. And I kept thinking, maybe if you just turned to God and immersed your, immersed your preparation in prayer before you got up there, maybe God would bless your preparation, See, in the Bible, it tells us, it says in 1 Peter, it says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves, ready yourselves, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is, when he is re- revealed. There's nothing wrong with having a plan as long as those plans are immersed in prayer. And so when the king asked Nehemiah, what is that you want? He's already been praying about this forever, and he tells the king exactly what he believes God wants him to do. So Nehemiah, he's humble, he's willing He's prepared, and God empowers him to change the world. And after Nehemiah gets the support of the king, I love what Nehemiah says. Look what he says in verse 8 of chapter 2. And because the gracious hand of my king, of my God, sorry, was upon me, the king granted my request. Because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. In other words, this never could have happened. This never would have happened unless God's gracious hand was on me. See, from an outsider's perspective, Nehemiah should not have asked what he asked for. It was a death sentence. It was too risky. There's no way he should have asked for this. But that's from an outsider's perspective. Nehemiah asked what he asked because he knew that as powerful as Artaxerxes was, his God was more powerful. He knew who was really on the throne. He knew who was really in control. He knew who was really sovereign. And he knew God's authority is never up for a vote. And I think we need to remember this as well. No matter who's in the White House, no matter who controls Congress, no matter who's over the Supreme Court, no matter who's in the governor's mansion, God's authority is never up for a vote. God is still in control. Hey, you can clap for that. You can clap for our God. He is sovereign over all. Earthly leaders come and go. But God is always on his throne. And that's why Nehemiah was able to ask what he needed to ask before King Artaxerxes. And I want you to pay attention to what happens here. Nehemiah asked for safe conduct, safe travel basically so that the regional rulers would not attack him or make sure that he was safe as he traveled. He also asked for resources for, you know, lumber to rebuild the gates, the walls of Jerusalem. The king gives him both of those things, grants his request, (laughs) but he gives him something he didn't even ask for. Read on with me and Nehemiah says, so I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also, also sent army officers and the cavalry with me. He didn't ask for that. He didn't ask for an armed escort. He didn't ask for extra officers to help him in this rebuilding project. He didn't ask for that. Our exercise just does it. You know why? No king in this day and age would have granted a request above and beyond what the person asked for. It's because God was orchestrating all this. God was working behind the scenes. God was in charge of what was happening. 
Artaxerxes may have thought he was the one in power, but God was the one calling the shots. And when we do trust him and we live by faith and not by fear, he will do the impossible in our lives. I heard this quote just the other day by John Weiss. We won't know what's possible until we ask God for help. And so let me ask you, are you settling for what's comfortable right now? Are you settling for what's predictable and missing what God knows is possible? Because if you are, I think that needs to change. Are you asking God for help right now to do something incredible through you, to do something amazing in your life? Remember what Nehemiah said in verse 8, and because the gracious hand of God was upon me, the king granted my request. Are you praying right now, God, do something in my life that could only happen because your gracious hand is upon me? Do something in my life that could only happen because your thumbprint is on my life. Is that your prayer right now? And I just want to have a moment here where I ask you personally, is God nudging you right now to make a difference for his namesake? Is there an opportunity that you've been ignoring? Is there a need that he's placed on your heart? Is there something going on right now in your life that you can't explain and you want some clarity about because you feel like God wants to use it? Well, I want to let you know, I want to personally pray for you. And so if you go to our church app or website right now, you will see a little red icon that says Nehemiah 2.8 Big Prayer based on this verse right here. If you are praying a prayer right now or if there's something on your heart that you think can only happen if God's hand is upon your life, I, as well as other staff members, want to personally pray for you this week. So you can go to that link on our app or our website, and you can type in what your big prayer request or need or opportunity is. And this week, we will pray over those needs one by one, whatever it is. And maybe right now, you don't know what it is. Maybe through this whole series, you've been thinking, hey, God, I want to dream big, but I don't know what you want me to dream. Put that in the link. Click on there and say, hey, I want God to give me an opportunity. And I don't know what it is yet. Pray that he opens up a door for me. If that's what you want to put in there, put that in there too. We'll pray for you as well. But we want as a, as a staff to be praying over whatever it is that you're facing right now, whatever it is that God's putting before you, because we want to be a church that responds with faith that doesn't live by fear. Do something. Pray for God to do something in your life that could only be accomplished because his gracious hand is upon you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this chance we had to open up chapter 2 of Nehemiah and look and see how you worked in his life because he was one who lived by faith and not by fear. And Father, I just pray that as a church, we can do the same. We can follow that example. Father, that we will not back down to the darkness, that we will not go along with the darkness or act like it, but Father, we will offer an alternative to it, that we will be a people who love in a world full of hate. We will be a people who are peacemakers in the midst of chaos and uncertainty, that we will be a people who show others what it means to have eternal hope when everyone else is chasing after temporary pleasures. Father, may we be light in the midst of the darkness. And so I pray that together as a church, that we will be those who do things that can only be accomplished because your gracious hand is upon us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.